I love that moment when Kaylee said Josh had signed up and everyone was like, ooh, rethinking this spring break trip. Sorry, Josh. It'll be Josh and Kaylee and Jordan. That'll be it. <laughs> Great trip. Smoky Mountains, here we come. <laughs> Jordan and Kaylee are just going to be like, yeah, Josh, you can go hiking. Oh, Kaylee's not even going. It's Jordan and Josh. Jordan's not going. All right. Minnesota Salt is sending Josh to the Smoky Mountains. <laughs> just totally alone. If you could videotape the whole thing, and if you die, like figure out a way to get it back to us, that'd be great. So, all right, Josh, have fun in the Smoky Mountains in a couple weeks. Um, so I'm on staff in Ames at the Salt Company there. I'm the freshman director over there, which was Jordan Adams' position when I was a student at Iowa State. So I, it's fun to take his job as he came up here. But it is great to be up here with you guys. Kaylee was also my wife's connection group leader. So we love Kaylee and Jordan and miss them a ton. So it's fun to be up here. Except a bummer that when Jordan asked me to come up, I thought it was like, yeah, and I can hang out with you all day. And he's like, no, I'm going to be gone. So bummer. This story has literally nothing to do with tonight. But I was like, I can't come here and not tell a Jordan story. So my freshman year, Jordan, at the end of the year, invited five, me and four of my friends to go home with him to Garner, Iowa. Garner, Iowa is the smallest podunk town in Iowa. There's probably smaller ones, but there's one stoplight in the whole town, and it is just this small town, Iowa. So we show up to Jordan Adams' birthplace. It is amazing. And his mom is there, whose name is Brenda, and she immediately, actually Jordan immediately told us, you must refer to her as B-Ren the rest of this weekend. B-Ren was amazing. <laughs> Guys, I have never eaten more food in my life. It was literally Thanksgiving every single meal, like supper, breakfast, lunch. It was just constant eating. But the most amazing thing about B-Ren was we show up the first night and she goes, hey guys, like, I don't know if this would interest you all at all, but you want to hit up a roller derby tomorrow night in Mason City? And we're like, like roller derby, like people on roller skates, like doing something that we don't understand. She's like, yes, roller derby. I still could not tell you the rules, but the whole way to Mason City, we're like looking up the rules. So we get in the car to head to Mason City to go to this roller derby bout. And that's what it's called. It's called a bout. It's not like a game. It's a bout. Like a fight is about to go down. So we show up in the Mason City, like county fairgrounds in this huge room that's probably twice as big as this. And just think... Uh, all things Harley Davidson, and then add roller skates to it. That is literally what this experience was. And it's women's roller derby, which is even crazier. Just, I don't know why it was, it just was. So first off, it's the Danes of Anarchy. That's the home, home team. They come out holding on to the back of a Harley Davidson motorcycle being rolled around, and Jordan is just like giggling beside himself. Like, how did I get five freshmen to come to Mason City Roller Derby with me? So we're like, not we, I wish, that'd be cool, but they were rolling out on these roller skates behind this Harley Davidson. And then for the next hour, it was just like the seven most ferocious women you could picture fighting seven other very ferocious women on roller skates. And they're just like, checking each other. And maybe some of you know how roller derby works. I still don't. I just know a lot of people get hit. And a lady named K-Train almost got... Did she get ejected, Mason? I think she got ejected from the bout. K-Train got ejected. And I have to give it to K-Train. Like, this is like the beastliest woman I'd ever seen in my life. 
we're sitting there in the bleachers and K-Train rolls up and we're a couple rows behind her and she sits down with this family that she knows and they're introducing, introducing her to someone that hadn't met her and she goes, hi, I'm K-Train, like stuck in character and we're like, you are taking this roller derby thing way too seriously if you're gonna introduce yourself as K-Train. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but she got ejected, so she was taking it very seriously. Afterwards, we were like, man, we gotta get a picture with the team. So we go up, and the line for the Danes of Anarchy was just long, and we're like, okay, like we don't really care about the Danes of Anarchy. The away team has nobody over there. So we go over to the away team and start chatting it up with them. I'm asking for an, they, they say, hey, do you want an autograph? And I'm like, yeah, I'd take an autograph. I don't have anything for you to sign. And she goes, I can sign you. I'm like, here's my arm. And I had her sign my wrist. Then the whole like team gets up and we get a picture with like the seven of us, B-Ren, Jordan, five of us guys with the entire like whatever the away team's name was, which is probably another crazy name. And then just two just massive women that could tear me in half look at me and they say, so is it your birthday or anything? And I'm like, no, but it is this guy's. And I point to one of our friends, Mark Vance. I'm like, how about a kiss for this guy? Not Mark Vance, Mark uh, Hanish. And uh, I'm like, how about this guy? How about a kiss for him? So these, this whole roller derby team like surround Mark Hanish and he is beat red in the face. And they all give him just these massive kisses. And it was hilarious. He got his first kiss, which was great. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it was his first kiss, but it probably was. Odds are. It's like a 60-40. Mason's saying that it was Mark's first kiss uh, from a woman on a, that was previously just checking someone on roller skates. So that's what Jordan Adams exposed me to as a freshman. I don't know what he's exposing you to, but hopefully it's as good as roller derby. All right, we are continuing. Like I said, that literally has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. We just needed to hear that story. Yeah, I can't. I can't do it. Okay. Uh, we're continuing on in our series called Story of Everything. Really what we want to do in this series is look at God's word and just say, what is the, the story that is connecting this entire book? I was sitting down with a guy last year, and he wasn't a Christian, and he said, hey, here's the thing about the Bible. It's just a bunch of random stories that don't make sense, that each one has a meaning, but there's no like coherent story. And I said, actually, you know what? There is, and I, let me help you see it. So that is our goal in this series, is to help you guys see that there is actually one unifying story through God's Word. So tonight we're going to look at the second part of our series, Genesis 12 through 50. So I think Luke's got our sentence summary from last week. So last week we looked at the first 11 chapters of the Bible, and this was how we summarized it. In the beginning, God created all things and lived with human beings on his good earth. But humankind betrayed him, so humans were cursed and removed from his presence. And this is where we're going this week. While God promised to destroy the curse, he also promised to bless the earth forever through his redeemed people. So last week we ended on chapter 11, and basically what you see is the world just falling apart, and today we're going to see that God is going to step in and give this promise to bless all the earth through this people. But before we look at that, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that all of us have actually accepted a massive lie, that all of us to one degree or another have accepted this lie 
and it is radically shaping the way that you're living today. And if you don't dismantle this lie in your heart, it will actually affect where you spend eternity. And this lie actually comes to us through the story of the little red hen. So it's a kid's story. The little red hen finds some seed, and she's like, man, I could turn this into bread. But all along this story, she's inviting the lazy dog, the sleepy cat, the noisy yellow duck to help her. So she finds like seed, and she goes to the dog, the cat, and the, the duck, and she's like, hey, do you guys want to help me plant this? They're like, no. Okay. So then she goes, she plants it. It turns into wheat. She like wants to go cut it. She's like, hey, you guys want to help me cut the wheat? No. Then she like crushes it or whatever you do to take wheat and turn it into bread. Eventually, she gets to the bread, and all along the way on these steps, the lazy dog, the sleepy cat, and the noisy yellow duck are just, now, I'm good. I'm not going to contribute. I'm not going to participate. And then finally, the little red hen, what does she get? She gets bread. And she says, hey, who wants to help me eat this bread? Guys, this is like the sleaziest move ever. Hey, who wants to help me eat this bread? And all three are like, yeah, I do, I do, I do. She's like, nope, you didn't help me. And then she eats the bread. Like, what a jacked up kid story. <laughs> Seriously. Hey, who wants to help me eat this bread? No, you can't. You didn't help me. Guys, what's the moral of that story? The moral of that story is if you don't participate, you don't get blessing. If you don't contribute, you don't get to taste the fruit of the labor. If you don't do something to earn it, you don't get the blessing. Now, that might be true in things like school or jobs, but that actually is a fundamental lie when it comes to God. And what we're going to see in the rest of Genesis is a dismantling of that lie. The lie that if you do not contribute, you do not receive blessing. And that lie is absolutely affecting every person's life in this room and potentially your eternal life. The lie that you have to bring something to the table to experience God's blessing. So here's where we're going tonight. We're going to look at this promise that God gave, and we're going to be unpacking it with three questions. What is the promise? Who's this family that gets the promise? And then how does God fulfill this promise? So flip over to Genesis 12. It's the next chapter after Genesis 11 where we left off last week. And this is where we see this promise given. Hey, Josh. I know I mess with you big time, but I actually don't know when I started, and I do not want to teach longer than 35 minutes. So you just tell me. I've probably gone for, what, five or six minutes or seven minutes. Let's just call it seven minutes. So when you see 28 minutes from now, you just let me know, and I'm going to pray. Okay. That is exactly what we're going to do. When it hits 20, 28 minutes from now, we are praying. And if, I'm, if I haven't said anything worth saying, then... I'm sorry, I shouldn't have talked and wasted your time, so. All right, Genesis 12. And Josh, if you mess this up, we're sending you to the Smoky Mountains, and you're going to stay there. Don't come back. We don't want the videotape. We don't want anything. We just want you to leave. Guys, 28 minutes is a simple task. If Josh can't handle that, what is he doing at the U of M? Okay, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. 
Here is the promise that God is going to give in the midst of all the chaos that has led up to this. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Guys, so in the midst of all the downward spiraling of Genesis 1 through 11, God steps in with this promise of blessing. So in Genesis 3 last week, we saw that there's curse. The land is cursed. Our work is cursed. Our labor, our birth is cursed. Everything is cursed. And now God is stepping in with blessing. On the heels of the flood, on the heels of the Tower of Babel, all of this chaos, the world is burning. God steps in with this blessing and gives it to this man named Abram. And this blessing is two parts. One, to bless Abram, and then second, that he will be a blessing to others. So look back at verse 1 and 2. Here's what he says to Abram. Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So God's promising to bless Abram with land, with a nation, with a name, all of these ways that God is going to bless this individual and his family. Why these things? Guys, all of these things are identity markers in Abram's life. These are the things that we rest our identity on, where we're from, what family we are. So if you ask me, who are you? I'd say, well, I'm an Iowan, proud of it, regardless of what you guys say. I'm an Iowan, proud of it, and I'm a Jones. My, where I'm from, my family. These are identity markers, land and a name, a family. And God's saying, leave all of the things that currently identify you, and I'm going to give you a new identity, a new land, a new family, a new name. So Abram is being blessed by God, and it's this promise of a new identity, a new home, a new family, a new name. And what happens when God blesses Abram? Look back at verse 3. God is going to bless Abram so that Abram becomes a channel of blessing. In the midst of all of the chaos, all of the world falling apart, there's this channel that God is going to cut through in the midst of the chaos and it's going to be Abram and his family that he is going to use to bless the earth. So verse 3 says, I will bless those who will bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So in the midst of all the chaos in Genesis 3 through 11, God gives this one family a promise to bless them, but so that they would become a channel of blessing to the earth, to all of the peoples of the earth. So God is going to destroy this curse, and he's going to do it by using this family to bring redemption to the world. So how? Starting with Abram, we're going to see this promise of blessing be passed on from generation to generation. So Abram, eventually his name is switched to Abraham. His wife's name is currently Sarai, but it's going to be switched to Sarah. Abraham and Sarah eventually have a son. And this son, Isaac, this promise in Genesis 26 is reiterated to Isaac. So it goes from Abram, hey, I'm going to bless you and you're going to bless the world. Then it gets transferred to Isaac, hey, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the world. Then Isaac and his wife have a son, Jacob. And Jacob gets the promise reaffirmed to him in Genesis 35. 
Then in Genesis 49, Abraham's great-grandson, Judah, is given this promise that he is going to be blessed, and through him, somebody is coming that God is going to use to bring blessing to the whole earth. Somebody, a king is coming that is going to crush this curse. So all for the rest of the Bible, leading up to Jesus, you see child after child after child getting this promise reaffirmed. All the way to eventually 2,000 years ago when a king was born in a stable and his name was Jesus, who was going to be the one to crush the curse. This curse that had plagued the earth would finally be removed and put on Jesus so that all of us could experience salvation and redemption from the brokenness in this world. Blessing would ultimately come through Abraham's true son, Jesus. Guys, so step back for a second. This whole Bible, really, the story that we're seeing is that God in the beginning creates. Creates this world that is flourishing and it's operating exactly how God designed it to operate. But in Genesis 3 last week, we see that humans reject God, reject God's design, and because of that, brokenness enters the world. And now in Genesis 12, you get this promise that God is going to remove this curse and provide a solution to this brokenness. And all the way up to Jesus, we see this promise being sustained by God. And eventually we get to Jesus where God himself would come in the form of a man to take on the curse of humanity. Jesus would live a perfect life and go to the cross and die in humanity's place so that we could have a way free from the brokenness that we're experiencing. The rejection that's in our hearts. God promises to this family that he's going to use them to bless the world, and this family is going to be a channel of blessing. And eventually it's going to lead to Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of humanity to remove the curse of brokenness that we're experiencing so that we could have a restored relationship with God. And guys, when we respond to that with faith, with belief, it gives us a new identity, a new name, a new home that we're longing for, heaven a new purpose. In the rest of our life, God is sending us back into the broken world that we currently live in to proclaim this message that, hey, there we have been blessed and now we want to be a blessing to others. So Abram and his family were blessed by God to be a blessing and God is going to crush the curse through his son, Jesus. But let's pause here. That's the promise God gave. He's going to bless Abram. He's giving him a new identity, a new name, and through the world, this, this, through this family, the world is going to be blessed. Now you're thinking, man, who is this family that God is picking to be a blessing, to be the channel that he's going to bless the world through? Like if I'm God, I'm picking the most stellar rock star baller family out there, like Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, like, the, like that sort of caliber family, like a Hall of Fame family. Like the kind of family that their kids have to make the decision to take the athletic scholarship or the academic scholarship. Like, whoa, wow, you guys have problems. Wow. First world problems family. Guys, that's the kind of family we're thinking of. Like, man, who is this Hall of Fame family that God is choosing to be the channel of blessing in the world? Which, 
it's not my family. First off, I'm Iowan. Do I need to say more? <laughs> I Okay, I do not get this. All my Minnesotan friends will just rag on Iowa all day, and I was like, I'm going to test this. You guys think Iowa jokes are funny, and you totally do, <laughs> which I don't get. We're like the guy minding our own business, and you guys are just like, you guys have cornfields. Yeah, we know we're average. We know like there's not anything notable about Iowa, and we know there's cornfields. Like, why are you making fun of us? I don't get this. So, back on. Who is this family? Like, we're thinking Hall of Fame family. God is going to pick just like the all-star family of all time, academic scholarships, full rides, athletic. Who is this family? And something shocking is going to happen. Starting from Genesis 12, you're going to see for the rest of this book of Genesis this picture of a family that is plagued by conflict, tension, and problems. And you're going to see a family that has no business being picked, no business being chosen by God to be a blessing to the world. So just to highlight a few examples, right after Abraham gets this promise, Twice, he is going to lie that Sarah is not his wife to save his own skin and put her in an incredibly vulnerable place where she is uh, treated as she's single and like the kings of the land are trying to sleep with her. That's Abraham, jacked up dude. His son Isaac uh, is going to marry Rachel and they're going to have two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is going to lie to Esau, lie to his dad, and his mom's going to help him to steal Esau's birthright, and then Esau is like trying to murder Isaac or Jacob, and Jacob is fleeing for his life. So you got tension between brothers. Jacob makes his way to his uncle's house where he meets his cousin, drop dead gorgeous cousin, not her sister. But his uncle tricks him into marrying his her the pretty cousin's sister, who he then despises, ends up marrying the pretty one too. Then they don't like each other. Then Jacob adds two more wives to the mix, and so you have this huge mess of a polygamous family that has a ton of conflict. One of Jacob's sons tries to sleep with one of his wives. One of Jacob's sons sleeps with his son's wife, mistaking her for a prostitute. You have all of this mess inside this family. One of Jacob's daughters is raped. Jacob stays silent. Two of his sons take action, massacre an entire town of 70 men. You have a messy, jacked-up family. You have brothers who hate each other and want to kill one another. You have brothers who sell each other into slavery. You have sisters who hate each other. You have husbands who don't love their wives. You have sons sleeping with their father's wife. You have dads sleeping with their son's wives. You have a dad who stays silent when their daughter's raped. You have brothers who massacre an entire village in revenge. You have moms who can't get pregnant. You have just a mess of a family that is plagued by problems both internally and externally. Guys, this is a Dr. Phil, like, heyday. If Dr. Phil met this family, he would go, like, nuts. That would be, like, three seasons worth of footage for him. Just like, oh, my word. I'm going to have the greatest show on earth. This family is the worst messed up family I've ever met. Guys, these are not relationship goals. This is not a Hall of Fame family. And honestly, you would look at this family that God has chosen to be a blessing to the world, and you'd say, yeah, I don't think you're going to bless us. I think you need some serious therapy. 
Like, you have four generations of jacked-up stuff that you need some serious family counseling to untangle. How is this family that's murderous, adulterous, deceivers, liars, plagued with all sorts of problems, how are they going to be a blessing to the world? And it leaves us with this question, why would God choose a family like this? In all of the families on the earth, he can, it, he's the only one that has dra- like the draft. Why would he draft this family? Two thoughts. First, he wants to show that his promise is for anyone and everyone. Guys, there is not a person in this room that God's promise to bless is not available to you. Because he's going to use a family that has so many problems, it's ridiculous. Guys, God's promise of blessing is for the outcast, it's for the rejects, it's for everyone and anyone. But second, and probably even more important, is at the end of the day, God is going to get all the credit. Guys, the little red hen constantly is asking people to contribute, constantly asking people to participate so that they can get blessed. Here's what God does. Unlike the little red hen, he chooses people who are completely incapable of contributing, completely incapable of participating. Why? So that he gets all the glory. Guys, we don't have anything to bring to the table to get this blessing and favor from God. He did it all so that he gets all the glory and all the worship at the end of the day. Guys, he uses families like this so you and I could never say, yeah, I'm not the kind of person God chooses. Or I'm not the kind of person that God uses. Guys, the kind of person that God chooses and the kind of person that God uses are nobodies from nowhere with nothing. That's the only kind of people God chooses. Lazy dogs, sleepy cats, and noisy yellow ducks. We all are sleepy dogs, lazy cats, and noisy yellow ducks. People who have nothing to contribute, nothing to participate in, but unlike the story of the little red hen, we get the blessing of the bread. We don't do anything and God blesses us. That is exactly what he's showing us in the rest of Genesis. He's going to pick a family that has no business being picked by God so that at the end of the day, it is abundantly clear to all of us that God's blessing comes to us completely because of God and not because of us. We do nothing to earn it. We do nothing to participate in getting God's blessing. It is all because of him. So then, if it's all because of God, how is he going to fulfill this promise ultimately? There's two stories in Genesis that I think show us how, and they both want to show us the same thing, that God is going to fulfill his promise to Abraham and his family and to the world completely through his power. The first one is Genesis 15. So if you want to flip over a couple pages, Josh, where are we at on time? 12 minutes? Whoo! I was ready for you to say like six. Oh my goodness. This is great. We might have time for a second Jordan story. Man. Probably not. Okay, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. 
Guys, we're going to look at these two stories, and they're both going to show us that God's blessing comes to us completely because of him. So verse 1, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So God is coming to Abram again. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you've now given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And here's the key verse. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. God shows up to reaffirm this promise, and there's this simple statement in verse 6. Abram believed God, believed the promise that he was going to provide a child for him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That Abram was going to receive this new identity, this, this blessing from God purely through belief, purely through faith. So Abram is receiving his identity and it's, it's not resting on his ability to earn it. It's not resting on anything except God. God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, and he would receive his new identity, land, a name, a family, simply by believing God. But there's a question. How can it be that simple? How can we receive this new identity simply by faith? And there's a second story in Genesis, Genesis 22, that's going to show us how we can receive a new identity simply by faith. Flip over to Genesis 22. So Abraham in Genesis 15 hears the promise of God and believes it, that God is going to provide him a son that is going to be the next one in line to bless the world. And then you get this crazy story in Genesis 22. So Abraham and Sarah finally have this son. And look at verse 1 of 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. What? <laughs> Seriously. Guys, we haven't looked at this, but... 25 years has passed by. For 25 years, Sarah and Abraham have been waiting for this son. And the second he gets this son, what happens? Hey, I want you to go sacrifice this son. The one, yeah, the one that I've been talking about who's going to be the blessing, that the blessing's going to come. Yeah, go sacrifice him. What? <laughs> Even more shocking is verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took him uh, took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He's going to do it. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. 
In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And you, you almost hear this, this desperation in Abraham's voice. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named the place, the Lord will provide. So today it said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. How can Abraham receive his identity simply by faith? Guys, ultimately this story shocks us, but it's actually pointing us to another story that's going to happen. And it's a story of when another father who deeply loved his only son would walk his son up a mountain and put him not on a wooden altar but on a wooden cross and he would slaughter his son so that Abraham and us don't have to sacrifice to get our new identity. Guys, there's this ram that God provides in this story. And that ram is pointing us to the ultimate lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. Where a father who loved his son deeply would give up his son so that we could come into his family freely by his grace that we could have a new identity with a new home, a new name, a new family, a new purpose, completely by grace. Guys, when Abraham is tested, it says, the angel says, now I know you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Guys, we can look at the cross and we can say, to God, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me. This son that was promised in Genesis 12 that was going to be a blessing to the world. And then all through Genesis and all through the rest of the Old Testament, you see this, this promised child coming into existence. And 2,000 years ago, that promised child was crucified on the cross so that we could have a new identity, a new home, a new name, completely by grace. Guys, Abraham called the mountain, the Lord will provide. Guys, on the mountain of Calvary, the Lord provided. The lamb of the world that takes away the sins that we're guilty of and the rest of humanity is guilty of. This curse that plagued us in Genesis 3 was put on Jesus on the cross so that we wouldn't have to face the penalty of eternal separation from God. 
But Jesus faced that penalty for us so that we could get this new identity, a blessing simply through faith. All right, guys, what do we do with this? Guys, first, God's promised to destroy the curse, and he's going to do that through bringing Jesus into the world and in his family. And we're a part of this story. You and I, we are direct recipients of this promise that through Abraham, God was going to bless the earth. And we have all rejected God, but God has provided a way back for us into a relationship with him to have a new identity that completely rests on who we are in Christ. And we receive it the same way that Abraham did, through faith. Guys, God is offering you a way out of the brokenness that you're experiencing. A way out of the brokenness that no career, no relationship, no party is ever going to give you freedom from. But not only that, guys, when we receive this new identity, this blessing, God sends us back into the world to be a blessing to the world. Abraham is our example in this. He was blessed in order to be a blessing. We have a new identity so that we can be dispensers of grace in this world, so that we can walk in humility to others. Because we have this new identity so that now we can be a blessing at the U of M in the Twin Cities. And guys, when we realize that our salvation has nothing to do with us, that this blessing was completely given to us by grace, it will produce such a deep love and humility in us to live lives full of grace towards others. Guys, the story of everything. Luke, let's throw that slide up again. This is where we're at tonight. While God promised to destroy the curse, he also promised to bless the earth forever through his redeemed people. And the way that he would do that is he would provide the ultimate lamb that would die for the sins of the earth so that we could be recipients of this new identity completely by faith. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so grateful that uh, you offered the ultimate sacrifice for the entire world so that we can have this new identity completely by grace. That this promise that you gave to Abraham and his family it affects us. We're, we're recipients of it. God, that through this family, you brought Jesus into the world so that we could be saved from this brokenness that we're experiencing. And God, ultimately, the penalty that that brokenness brings, separation from you. God, I pray that you would continue to use this ministry, a ministry that's been blessed by the gospel, blessed by what Jesus has done for us on the cross so that we would turn around and be a blessing to others, that we would live lives full of grace in constant awe of the reality that we had nothing to do with our salvation. We didn't participate at all. We didn't contribute at all. And yet we still get the blessing. God, we love you. Thank you for the cross. Amen.